Indy's favorite sports bettors advantage is the free PropSwap app. PropSwap is where America buys and sells sports bets. This is Kevin Bowen, and I use it. Download the PropSwap app today. Welcome back. My favorite time of the week is here. Kevin Bowen, Chris Presley in studio, rocking his We Are Penn State shirt. I know that's in <laughs> reference of some draft prospects that I know fans are curious about for the Indianapolis Colts in regards to Penn State. But uh, April 13th, Tuesday, late morning, here we are uh, two weeks away and two days away from the NFL draft. Two weeks away and one day away from Beers with Bowen. That's right. Looking forward to it. Like you said, rocking the Penn State. My mother's a Penn State grad. I nice. Know, I know that I, I proclaim Tennessee fandom, which which is my number one, but always have to rep your mom, you know. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I've been well known to rock a Ball State apparel in my day. So um, April 28th mm-hmm. is the official date on that. That's 8 p.m. You know, it's funny, Chris. I was doing some um, off-site stuff. During March Madness, we you know we'd be going yep. to bars, kind of doing some giveaways and whatnot, and and talk to some people, and they're super excited about getting beers with Bowen back, you know, out of the building and out of the virtual world. Yeah. So hopefully, the next one we do, not not this one, this one will still be on YouTube and live. Hopefully, the next one we can get out and uh, meet some of you guys and and just chat face to face and have a normal conversation and whatnot. So. Um, check out some more details on that, but yeah, put it in your calendars, 8 p.m. Wednesday night before the draft. Today's podcast, we'll have Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus on to talk the NFL draft. He, uh, I was hosting for JMV yesterday, and Mike came on the show, and I thought he had really, really good insight. And it was the first time I'd really had a conversation with him, and I feel like you guys will like that. Basically, what I tried to do was throw what I thought the top three needs are. Yep. You guys heard on last week's podcast, the positional mock. I threw those at Mike. Asked him about some local prospects as well. You know, the Rondell Moores of the world. Um, Tommy Tremble from Notre Dame. Liam Eichenberg from Notre Dame. I think those are all guys that, you know, certainly are either on, again, just local fans' minds or, you know, even on some some Colt fans' minds. And um, Renner had a really interesting note just on – maybe the lack of length in the offensive line class this year, and I know that's a little bit of a nitty-gritty detail, but uh, he had a reference to Braden Smith's arms and mm-hmm. referencing, you know, remember when Braden Smith was drafted, he was drafted to be a guard right. by the Colts and then threw out the tackle and the rest is history out there. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. So we'll get to him a little bit later. want to talk, uh, there's a Philadelphia Eagles story that the athletic ran that showed, I think, a little bit more of the dysfunction within that organization. And there was a couple Carson Wentz tidbits that I wanted to get to as well there. And then, as always, Twitter questions. So yeah. Um, Before we jump in, yeah. how was your Masters weekend, Kevin? Dude, it was. Uh, you know, we couldn't have asked for better weather here in Indianapolis. Right. Pour down rain all weekend long, so I was very, very happy. Um, I don't think anyone yelled louder than Matty Bowen when Hideki Matsuyama tapped in there for bogey. Really? It was finally over. That, <laughs> that, that all, all the golf was finally yeah. done. Uh, little does she know we've got Harbortown this week, one of my yeah. favorite courses to watch on TV. Uh, anyways, I, I needed a little bit more drama mm-hmm. on Sunday. I mean, we got maybe two holes of drama. Yeah. Like, 
Yeah, the tee shot on one was a little leaky, and then that dude gets up and down on two and gets up and down on three and two putts four from halfway across the green and gets up and down from the middle of the fairway on five for par. and Incredible by Hideki Matsuyama, and then obviously on 16, Xander Shoffley. I, I know he says he flushed it. I don't believe him. Uh, that was a 15-yard miss by him, 10-yard mm-hmm. miss by him at least. And so, yeah, um, would have liked to have seen a front nine charge from one of those guys at seven under. Zal Torres did it a little bit. Yeah. But even he, you know, kind of took a took a step or two back. So selfishly, that's what I wanted. Yeah. It, it got a little Baylor Gonzaga E for me. Okay. You know, like Gonzaga cuts it to nine. All right, right. here we go. Yeah. You know, we're we're on our feet. And it's like, no, no, we're not. They scored half to cut it to ten. Right. And, uh, here we go. Momentum right. going in the second half. Yeah. yeah. I that's thought once Matsuyama moment. went into the drink. Oh, um, I yelled so loud. I thought I, I was like, like, "Get in the water! Get in the water!" <laughs> I thought maybe, but then the thing about golfers, you know, he's walking up, and again, this is not a golf podcast. And as you know, I don't watch much golf. I was very invested in this Masters. Yeah, um, I love it. He walks up, and they're like, "This should be right or right around where he's wanted wants to chip it in or chip it to." Hits it right to where he was standing. Yeah, and then it's like, okay, well, yeah, he, he uh, saved it so. Whatever. That was a much harder golf shot than he made it look on that drop. You know, that that really could have gotten squirrely, especially feeling the pressure and whatnot. So, um, obviously great for the game globally, you know, similar to what maybe Seve Ballesteros meant to Sergio Garcia and John mm-hmm. Rahm or right. Gary Player meant for Ernie Yells and Retief Goosen. You know, I'm not going to act like I'm some diehard Hideki Matsuyama fan by any means, but I love golf. And if this win means that more talented golfers emerge yep. from the country of Japan, I love it. Absolutely. And that's exactly what I want. It's kind of a funny story. About a decade ago, we're at the Masters, and uh, Hideki's playing as an amateur. Very early in the morning, obviously no one watching this group, and we're like, all right, let's, let, I mean, let's yeah. watch. You know, might as well. Hideki hits a ball, kind of two bounces, like rolls up, hits my dad in the ankle. We're like, oh, wow. Oh, <laughs> you know, here, let's, let's watch this guy. And. He lashes at it from the right of hole two and hits it up near the green. And I just look at my brother. I'm like, that guy's a hack. That guy ain't going to make it. That guy is a nobody. He is just, he should be happy to be here. And uh, we'll never hear from him again. And, yeah, Hideki, you know, I I don't know if the middle finger is a um, universal uh, sign of what it means. You know, I know English is a little bit difficult for Mm -hmm. Hideki. But, uh, yeah, he can just go ahead and shove that middle finger right in my face. So. Ball striker galore, man. It was uh, beautiful to watch. Yeah, and he was pretty much leading throughout the course of the weekend. So prop swap again, one of the sponsors. If you bought, if you bought that prop swap ticket, there was a Baylor and Hideki Matsuyama ticket. Really? For grabs. Yeah, someone bet Baylor to win the national title and Hideki to win the Masters. Wow. Yeah. So I know a lot of people sold on Justin Rose. Yep. You know, I I wish I would have done that. And that's the beauty of Prop Swap. Obviously, you can buy and sell. So, thank you to them for sponsoring the podcast. And we'll have some NFL draft props mm-hmm. that we need to get to as well. And uh, we'll do that here in the next couple of weeks with the NFL draft coming. So, uh, check out Prop Swap, download their, their app, and head to propswap.com today. Lastly, on the Masters, Chris, because again, we probably spent you know five minutes too, too many on, on golf. What I love about the Masters is this I said this yesterday, and I was filling in for John. If you're going to ask me a year ago, who are the two guys least likely to cry after winning a golf tournament, I would have said Dustin Johnson and Hideki Matsuyama. Like, one, two. <laughs> no debate about it. Yeah. And we watch DJ cry 
last year, last November, mm-hmm. after one of the Masters, and just that walk from 18. I love how the walk from 18 green all the way to the clubhouse. To the clubhouse such a yeah. long walk. And obviously not the throng of fans that we saw with Tiger there in 2019, but to see Hideki get emotional in that moment, to me, tells you everything you need to know about what that tournament means to an American, a Japanese mm-hmm. person. I mean, w- w- wherever um, you are from, it means a whole, whole lot. So yeah, uh, I, I don't want to one second ever imagine like what it means to be playing for your country, but I think we know a little bit of Takuma Sato mm-hmm. winning Indy 500, just what yep. the Japanese culture really adores their athletes. And when you hear like, oh my gosh, Hideki Matsuyama might light the Olympic torch. Like, yeah. If Xander Shoffley wins on Sunday, that dude ain't lighting any <laughs> Olympic torch anytime no. soon. Sorry. Right. But it's just different. Yeah. So, again, if that can make the game of golf grow, sign me up. Yeah. And like you said, that's one of the one of the best traditions with that, that walk and watching the settle into that person realizing, I'm about to put on, I'm about to don the green jacket. Oh, no, like, this is like, amazing. Pinch me. Pinch me, man. All right. Golf talk. Yeah. Over, we'll transition into football, talking about prop swapping, buying and selling. Sounds like the Eagles front office was selling everybody when it came to Wentz, when it came to Doug Peterson. What are your thoughts on that athletic article? Yeah, that's a great, great transition by you. Um, and yeah, it was a tremendous article, I thought. Basically, it's detailing why the dysfunction within that organization Um so I was curious when I read it, just, okay, where are the Carson Wentz tidbits within that article? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Press Taylor, we talked to him a few weeks ago, and he said something that Frank basically got Press Taylor, you know, in the building, hired him, whatever, and was like, do you still believe in him? Mm-hmm. Carson Wentz. Press Taylor was like, yes, 100%. So I asked Press Taylor, I'm like, why? Why did you say that you still believe in Carson Wentz? And basically Press Taylor was like, when things are good around him, and good might even be too too nice of an adjective to use, when things are stable around him. Right, not, tur- not turbulent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Carson Wentz can still play at a very high level. And this story for me was like, okay, kind of a peek behind the curtain into just how turbulent, to use your word, Chris, how turbulent things were. You know, it's funny, I, uh, I was talking about this a little bit yet, Yesterday, and we had a caller call in and be like, I don't care about Philadelphia. That's stupid. You know, it's stupid, stupid to read that article. <laughs> I'm like, the only reason Carson Wentz is a cult is because of this dysfunction, turbulence, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Like, that is so, I want to know more about it. Like, what happened from Super Bowl to 120 some million to Carson Wentz to the drafting of Jalen Hurts to the 2020 season where Wentz looks like, you know, Tolzine, and now all of a sudden he's an Indianapolis cult. Um, man, Jamal Moore, Murray Torres ACL. God, that sucks. Mm, I saw I saw him go down. Oh. Usually, when you see players crowd around a guy yeah. and they know, they know. Oh man, I hate that. I love watching Damn. Denver team play. Um, and so, as long as the story just being wild for an NFL fan, it gives us a little bit of insight into again what was going wrong in Philadelphia. Um, even Frank Reich has mentioned in an interview this year he thought there was no way that Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz would, would both be gone. Like, yeah. that that never even was on his his radar there. So, I thought the first thing that stood out to me, Chris, was they mentioned Carson Wentz and Fletcher Cox having sway in personnel and coaching decisions. If I'm Howie Roseman, if I'm Chris Ballard, 
I'm calling Fletcher Cox, my captain, probably the leader of the defense. I'm calling Carson Wentz. Mm-hmm. Get a pulse of the locker room. Get an idea of what they feel like the locker room likes, what they feel like the locker room needs, those sorts of things. Certainly, I am doing that. But sway in decisions? I, I mean, and I know that's a very kind of gray area term. Like, who knows? But in no way, shape, or form is a player on my football team going to have a say in who's hired as a head football coach. Right. And ultimately, really, who's you know brought in as a free agent or who's drafted. You're going to vet, and you're going to do a lot of background, and you're going to talk to a lot of people, and some opinions are going to weigh more than others, certainly. But them as a decision maker and whatever, getting a vote, if you will, like that that's that's dangerous. So that was just something that kind of stood out to me. That's a LeBron James effect. Yeah. I mean, it's really different is, with a yeah. basketball team. It's it's completely different with a football team and that many players and positions. You know, especially and again, God bless Carson Wentz and has had a great first two seasons in the NFL, but like this isn't Tom Brady. True. This isn't Peyton Manning after a decade in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Like the guy hasn't even completed his rookie contract until a couple years ago. So yeah. Uh, I don't really understand that at all. Um, I'm going to read this excerpt from the story. And I think this, obviously, and once you hear it, you're going to understand it, plays directly into the Colts situation. So I read it like this. Quote, multiple sources said the loss of Reich after 2017 played a role in Carson Wentz's regression. It wasn't just that Reich had a connection with Wentz. One source described... Reich as Doug Peterson's glue, a supportive right-hand man who served as a valuable intermediary, end quote. Um, when I first read it, I was like, none of that really shocks me because I do feel like there's such mutual respect and such trust between Carson Wentz and Frank Reich, and it's a two-way street. Mm-hmm. Both of them have the utmost respect for each other and really respect them as humans and their intelligence, which that not the, the, those two things don't often correlate. Just think about your own lives, you know? Mm-hmm. Who are your friends that you respect their intelligence, but you don't really respect them as a person, vice versa? Who do you respect <laughs> as a person, you know, but you wouldn't have any sort of, oh, wow, you're, you're talking? I'm not, you know, even going to listen, something yeah. like that. And obviously people you work with, whatnot. I think it's very real for Carson and Frank. My question, Chris, is this. When Frank Reich is the offensive coordinator in Philadelphia for the first two years of Carson Wentz's career, it's about as good cop of a situation as you can be in. Mm -hmm. Now, and it's so weird to even call Frank Reich a bad cop. Right, yeah. But, like, now he's in more of a bad cop role because he's the play caller which he wasn't in Philly, and he's the head football coach. So every decision comes across his desk, and every decision offensively that's made on Sundays certainly comes across his desk. So that is the the one attribute to, I don't expect, like, venom or hatred or whatever. Yeah, right. But we can't sit here and say the Wyke, the, the Wyke, the Reich-Wentz relationship in Philly in 2016-2017 is automatically – going to be the same here in 2021 because not only has four years passed, which a lot of things have happened to both of those men in four years, the, the title is a lot different. Yeah. And Carson Wentz now 
this is it for him. You know, you really got to sh- show yourself here. So, again, that's just a question that I have of, like, you've eliminated that middleman in their relationship sort of feel to it. Um, and I think there's a lot of, you know, think about the assistant coach that just puts their arm around. You think about all those IU assistants under Bob Knight yeah, that are putting their arm around guys and are like, all right, we know he's psycho, he means well, blah, 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 this and that. Well, now all of a sudden, if you're the assistant, you slide over to the main chair. Now you got to be the one that's mm-hmm. kind of doing that. Again, I don't I don't call Frank Greg a bad cop. Yeah, right. But it just is a little bit different than what he had there in, uh, there in Philly. And you would hope in a new situation and Carson Wentz, now he's – you know, again, like we mentioned on the last podcast, you said Jack Doyle is going to be 31. That's old. We're that age. Carson Wentz is moving into that territory. He's he's matured as a person, not yeah. only a player. So you know that he probably understands that and gets that if Frank's got to tell him something, he's going to listen. That and also I just go back to the respect. Yeah. Like when someone that you respect tells mm-hmm. you to clean something up or do something differently, you're more likely to do it and be less skeptical of it than a person that you fall out of favor with. Yeah. And clearly it seems like that happened in Philadelphia. Um, so that that was something that stood out to me. And then the, the, the other one was this. And I say, um, or I guess I, I, I quote here, one source described Wentz as smarter than most of the coaches on staff. But that meant he wanted to control the game at the line of scrimmage with checks and audibles. His pre-snap orchestrations led to confusion among the other players and resulted in guys not being on the same page. Doug Peterson struggled to find a balance between empowering Carson Wentz and reining him in. Mm-hmm. The first thing that I thought about upon hearing this is, I really don't think this will be an issue here in Indy because Frank Reich says, hey, QB, when you are the quarterback of my offense, you have pretty much free reign at the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I don't think that's going to be a, a, an issue here. Now, does that mean Carson Wentz is going to make perfect reads all day and have the same sort of run-check success that Phillip Rivers had last year? No. But he's going to have that freedom, and that's not going to be new to T.Y. Hilton or Jack Doyle or Ryan Kelly. So I I don't think that should be an issue here. Um, And I guess just the more I read the article, Chris, it got back to me thinking to what Frank said earlier in the offseason of, you know, Frank has described it as the perfect storm in Philly. And obviously it's the perfect shitty storm in Philly if you're an Eagles fan of the offensive line issues, the coaching staff problems, the skill group issues. The Colts just feel like they won't have that here. And on paper, you can see why. Yeah. They are such believers in it. So that's what stood out to me. Anything else, I guess, over on your end that from reading that that you thought uh, stood out? Yeah, you talk about the perfect storm. Clearly, everything that you mentioned is spot on and accurate. And I know you went towards the Wentz part. Reading through it, that front office is a mess. Yeah, dude. And Philadelphia Eagle fans will tell. I mean, when we got Carson Wentz for that trade, I was looking at people from Barstool. I was looking at other Philadelphia reporters. They're like, what the hell is Lowry? Like, what is going on? And then after reading this athletic article, and if you guys are subscribed to Athletic, I would advise you to go read it. Yeah. That front office tries to dictate and just kind of mold the way that their coaching staff performs, and you can't do that. Sometimes you got to let your coaches coach. And as much shit as Jim Irsay gets from being an owner, and, yeah, people can laugh at him or whatever from his from certain downfalls, he pretty much puts 
people in place and lets yeah. them do their job. Mm-hmm. One 1,000%. You know, and it's such a mis, uh, perception people have of Jim Mersey as an owner, but I couldn't agree more with what you just said there. And it, it is just a reminder of how quickly things can go off the rails. Yeah. Again, I mean, this is a team that was in the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl and had this young, promising quarterback. And, you know, how much changes with the torn ACL, who, you know, who knows? But, um, boy, it was, a, it was a wild look behind the scenes. So um, I just wanted to hit on a few of those things. I know that we're trying to focus more on the draft here in these April podcasts, and we will. We're going to have Mike, Mike Renner here in just a sec. But I still wanted to sneak that in. I felt like it was some interesting tidbits, and uh, we'll see what happens next week. You know, next week is supposed to be the virtual offseason program getting yeah. started. And it sounds like, Chris, and I'm a little surprised by it, it sounds like there's some momentum to possibly get on the field at some point. Now, I wouldn't expect that until late May or you know early June, and that's typically when um, OTAs happen. You, you do some individual stuff kind of late April, early May as well. But hopefully, you know, for all of our sakes, <laughs> that would be right. great yeah. just to have something like that. But at, at the bare minimum, um, Carson Wentz and having designed meeting time with players, with coaches, that should and will happen next week unless something uh, something crazy occurs. Yeah, looking forward to that. You mentioned Mike Renner. He was on with you yesterday? Yeah, yesterday. And, Chris, uh, and again, this is with me filling in for the ride at J&B, so you hear some of those ads and, and, and some of those – uh, teases and whatnot. Mike Renner, he needs to be the face of sports media, Chris. I don't know <laughs> if you knew this. This dude, first off, he went to Notre Dame. Shocking. Which, you know, say no more there. I don't see any Tennessee people <laughs> coming on this podcast. But anyways, not only does he go to Notre Dame, I get informed yesterday by my good friend Cornelius Washington that this dude was on The Bachelorette. Yeah. So I, I text my wife. I'm like, hello, who is he? And, I mean, if you look at the picture, he's got hair down to the shoulders yep. back on The Bachelorette. Now, Mike wasn't in the talking mood too much about The Bachelorette. Um, I tried to throw in that I, you know, I, I knew Ben Smith. I was like, oh, that's a nice icebreaker. Yeah. I'm like, well, that's not really going anywhere. But, uh, you know, fat, balding, like to eat. Those are the first three things you think of when people in the media. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Renner's not that. He's a good-looking dude, yeah. sharp, sharp dude. And uh, he needs to be the face of sports media moving forward. So I think we're doing our part in getting Mike Renner in a podcast form out. And, uh, yeah, Notre Dame Bachelorette. You don't see that on many sport resumes, sport media resumes. And not to take anything away from Matty Bowen, but of all of your references and media guides and, and, you know, SID notes, how many times did you think, I got to go to Matty for information on this guy? You, I mean, I'm like literally texting her. I'm like, this guy's coming on the radio today. What mm-hmm. can you tell me? And and I thought this was right down Maddie's, you know, this is like a gold mine for her. I mean, we couldn't have, I'm like, what season was he on? She yeah. said, I think JoJo's, it was Becca's. I'm like, Matt, I mean, come on. This has <laughs> got to be, the, you know, you got to hit this one. This is a nice little layup and you got to backboard slap it. So, nonetheless, um, Mike Renner lasted till week three, I believe he said, on, on the Bachelorette. And I think it is funny how much time that he said he actually got to spend with Becca. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you're into that, we'll certainly head on that. But here's Mike Renner going over the 2021 NFL draft. But right now, it's always draft season. And certainly in the month of April, it is definitely draft season. Mike Renner, the lead NFL draft analyst from Pro Football Focus, joins us right now. Mike, uh, we, we know it's a crazy, crazy busy time. So thank you for uh, making time for us today. 
No, not a problem. Thanks for having me on. Mike, I got to start here before I throw some just kind of positional draft questions at you. You have two things on your resume that no media member has ever, no sports media member has ever had, and that is the combination of a Notre Dame grad plus you've appeared on The Bachelorette. How, how, how did that lead to you are now talking NFL draft with just a bunch of, you know, fat, balding radio people? Oh, uh, it didn't lead to it at all. Those, those were completely irrelevant in me getting this job, actually, or me <laughs> doing what I do. So it was kind of just. Uh, kind of just live my life to, you know, go with the flow. And those were opportunities that presented themselves. So <laughs> I had a good friend, Ben Smith, who was on the bachelorette. Well, I guess it would have been, or is it the bachelor? Or the bachelorette, ba- bachelorette. Yeah. Uh, that, that was on the season a couple, uh, couple um, seasons ago and you were on it. I think it was Jojo season. If I'm not mistaken, I think my wife was Becca. mentioning that to me. Uh, who? Becca's. Becca's season. Uh, do you have any good Bachelorette stories or any uh, just kind of stuff that maybe we wouldn't know that goes on behind the scenes? I'm trying to think. So I guess the, there's not really any good stories. It's just uh, I really – maybe he was there for, gosh, like two and a half weeks, and I talked to her for maybe like a half hour total. Like you just – Oh, my gosh. Don't get – it sounds like you're just like in a house and then they're there too. It's like, no, you really, you really don't get to see them. Gee, two and a half weeks, and you talked to her for a half hour. Yeah, a little, uh, maybe a little bit more than maybe like forty-five minutes. But you really just like don't get opportunity to talk to them much. Gosh, boy, <laughs> that sounds absolutely awful to be honest with you. Well, we are happy that you're uh, here to give us some draft insight. So um, again, thank you for the time. Let's just start kind of overview of twenty twenty one draft. Where you see some strengths position wise in this draft, and where you see maybe a little bit more of um, of a weakness. Yeah, I think obviously everyone wants to talk about the quarterback class. And it's good reason. This is so we've been doing this since the 2015 draft, which was Winston Mariota, and easily the best quarterback class we've seen over that time span. The deepest, most top heavy, like it, it's really got it all. Uh, so that one's pretty obvious. I think mean, it's another strong wide receiver class, and then probably the most special class after those two would be offensive line. Like this is a good year to need offensive linemen. Rarely do you find guys you think could start on day two, but I think there's so many quality options that there are going to be some guys in the 40s, 50s that are offensive tackle prospects that could probably step in and start for you right away. So uh, I think those are by far the three most uh, impressive classes by position group. The the ones that are pretty weak, or the one that's easily the weakest, is defensive tackle. So one guy we have a round one grade on, only a few more day two grades altogether. Like it's not. It's not the D, it's not the DT class to find an impact type of starter who can step in right away like a Derek Brown, Javon Kinlaw. There's really only Christian Barmore of Alabama, and then after that, I'm not sure I'd feel great starting any of these guys right out the gate. Mike Renner, lead uh, NFL draft analyst from Pro Football Focus, joining us now. The uh, PFF draft guide is certainly a must read this time of year. Mike, let's start with left tackle because that, I think, is the biggest need for the Colts and potentially at number 21 overall. But you just mentioned that you feel like some starters could be there in round two. Who would you classify as definite left tackles in this class versus maybe guys that are better suited to play on the right side here in the NFL? That's a good question. I don't think there's a massive difference between left and right tackle in today's NFL. I mean, a lot of the best edge rushers are actually rushing against your right tackles. They're the guys that you'd rather have on the right side 
so I, I don't think if, if you really feel that uncomfortable having the guy pass protect for you, know, well, then he's probably a guard. You're probably kicking him inside altogether. So the guys I really feel good about is first-round left tackles, obviously Panay Sewell uh, of Oregon, Rashawn Slater of Northwestern, but those guys are going to go pretty early on uh, the draft. They'll probably be gone uh, after the top 13 picks at the very latest. Um, but then after that, I think Christian Bearsaw from Virginia Tech, uh, Dan Cosme from Texas, Walker Little from Stanford, Dylan Raidens from North Coast State, and Devin Jenkins from Oklahoma State. All those guys we have first-round grades on at the tackle position, whether that's left or right tackle. I don't, doesn't really bother me. I think they can do either. I really like Tevin Jenkins. Um, what What do you know about him and his and his style of play? So he's uh, a bit on the older side. He's, I think, the oldest tackle of that top group. He's a fifth-year senior coming out of Oklahoma State. Only played right tackle there, but I mean, he he faced some fairly good competition this past year. He faced Joseph Asai, who is probably going to be either a late first round or early second round of the Texas edge defender and absolutely dominated him in that game. I mean, he threw him off the field at one point. He is one of the nastiest run blockers in the entire draft class. I think he did over 30 reps on the bench at his pro day. It's like, this guy you feel good about coming in and being a physical presence and especially putting him next to Quentin Nelson mm. and that cold off the line, my lord. Like, he, he is He's a powerful dude, uh, and so I, I, he's, I think, I believe, tackle uh, five on the PFF board right now, uh, and like I said, I don't think 21 is too high to draft a guy like that. Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus join us here on the ride with JMV. Kevin Bowen filling in today for John. Let's move over to edge rush, Mike, and uh, it seems like, and I don't know, I guess you could probably say this about any prospect or any position, it feels like there's a very big question on every single edge rusher, even first-round grade in this draft class. Do you, do you think that's accurate, and what do you make of that group this year? I do, and if you're expecting a guy to step in and look like Casey Young, it's not going to happen. Right? These guys are not at that level. None of these guys are particularly polished. You, you're drafting a project pretty much whichever edge guy you draft. That, that doesn't mean it's a waste of a pick. But that just means – you know, you're going to have to coach these guys up and you're going to have to bank up some development. And that, that's often the case, but, uh, you know, you'd like both. You'd like the athleticism and some polishing guys to step in right away. But I do think it is, it's got some rare athletes. So, like, that's why uh, I'd still probably take a chance on some of these guys in round one. Guys like Christian Quipe, uh Penn State, Jason Oway, even Miami, uh, Jalen Phillips, because these guys are – you know, elite, elite in terms of their physical tools, uh, what they bring to the table athletically. I just no way ran the four threes at 257 pounds. So he's a monster and only started playing football in 2016. It's just new to the game. So you're going to have to develop whoever it is that you're drafting. But, man, like the tools that some of these guys bring to the table, they, they don't come around every year. They are close to Chase Young-esque, if not like a no-wave case. I mean, he's, he's a better athlete probably than even Chase Young. But you just haven't seen him actually learn how to rush the pass yet. Mike, it seems like Chris Ballard's history with edge rushers is the trait he loves the most is that first step off the ball. Yeah. Um, that, that, that that's really the dominant trait. Would you say Owe is is a top? And again, if you look at his production in college, no sacks last season. I mean that that stands out to you like none other. But would you say he's kind of at the top top of that group when you're talking about just that get off? Oh, 100 percent him, Phillips. I think they both got even. I you can throw in uh, like Joe Tryon, Washington defender, who's yeah. going to go a little bit later on. 
those guys got it. And I, pretty much every guy in this class has, to be honest. Like that's why it's a, it is an interesting class. But the thing I feel like Ballard's almost downfall has been he, he's recognized the athletes that win at that respective position, but has kind of waited too long on them and gone for the guys who are too far gone as projects. Like he, he really hasn't. The guys who you know are the high-level athletes that also have shown or flashed some sort of production, those guys go round one. Like the edge talent doesn't last long. And I think wait until day two, trying to find that guy where he's been looking for it is just, more often than not, doesn't happen. It, it's an easy, it's a fairly easy position to scout in terms of recognizing the blue chip guys. Yeah, and they passed on Montez Sweat, who Washington yeah. traded up for, and obviously that was more medical related. But that was a name that is a guy that's coming here and had great impact. Uh, Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus joined us here on the ride of the JMV. Shifting over to the offense, if I were kind of ranking the position of needs, Mike, for the Colts, it'd be left tackle and edge rusher, one, two. Then a little bit of a drop to tight end, but I still feel like tight end is is a need that could be addressed. You know, probably not in the second round, but their next pick comes in the fourth round. Are, um, are there any tight ends kind of maybe in that round three, round four area that you like, and what do you think of that, of that group this year? I really don't love after Kyle Pitts. There's no real athletic guy you kind of have a bunch of guys who fill tick a lot of boxes but don't really bring you the high end like if i'm choosing between a mo alley cox or whoever you're getting in the third round i'll probably just stick with mo alley cox at this point like he at least brings uh, a unique physical skill set where if you're drafting like hunter long out of boston college uh or like a pat fryermuth out of penn state like they're kind of just big bodies fairly good catch radius, nothing uh, special, though, or dynamic in terms of their route running or after catch abilities. Mike, what do you think of uh, Tommy Tremble? I know you're a Notre Dame grad, as we talked about earlier, and I'm a diehard Notre Dame fan, and I feel like Tremble is a very interesting case study based off the lack of production he maybe had in college. Granted, a very deep tight end group, but then you've got some really enamored NFL people, I think, with his scouts and or with his skills and his blocking ability. Yeah, I almost struggle to group him with the other tight ends because I think if you're drafting him somewhat highly, you're not just going to plug and play him in line and ask him to do that. Like, you're going to take advantage of his movement ability and his ability to block on the move and the fullback stuff he did, the H-back stuff he did, Notre Dame's offense. Like, so you almost have to have a plan of attack before you draft him. He's not just, oh, I need a tight end in my offense. Go grab Tommy Tremble. But in a role like that, if that's something – that you have carved out in your offense, oh, man, he's going to be a weapon. That guy uh, is, one, a pretty good, a pretty plus athlete for the position. I think he ran a low 4-6 at his pro day. He can actually run past linebackers and whatnot. And, two, he had the highest run block grade in the country this past year for a PFF grade. Like he is, he attacks recklessly and has something that you just can't, you can't coach that into a guy if he doesn't have it already in him similar to like a George Kittle where it's just you're not going to teach a guy to block to that level if, if he doesn't have it in him already and Tommy Tremble 100% already has that in him. I want to throw a few more local guys at you. What what are your thoughts on Rondell Moore? I think he plays much much bigger than his size indicates and we know the speed we know the short area quickness um, what do you think he's going to look like in the NFL and where could you see his name getting called? Yeah it's not necessarily like he plays strong. I'm not worried about the weight. The biggest worry with him is more just the wingspan. Like his catch radius is a 
real thing. I think you have a 70-inch wingspan, which, like, I'm just not sure you can target that guy over the middle of the field at the intermediate level. It's just going to be hard for him to get open. He might just be a purely underneath sort of wide receiver or you know, deeper underneath. Like, there's no real uh, – like it's kind of like uh, the basketball analogy. You just don't throw a lot of five nine guys out here. Even if they got, even if they're Nate Robinson and have a massive vertical, it's just you got to be perfect to go up and get balls like that. And so that's the worry about Rondell Moore is just that at that size or with that limited sort of catch radius, how how effective can he be outside of anything underneath? I worry about that. I think if you're going to use him, choose him as a running back. Use him in that role because he's so dynamic with the ball in his hands. Can bounce off hits left and right. Like I, I still am a fan of his as a prospect, but I do think there is a legitimate worry about what, uh, what more he can bring to the table outside of what we saw at Purdue, which is just a limit, super limited role there offensively. Great. Nate Robinson name drop there. That's a, that's a, that's a dunk contest back in the day. Um, Mike Renner, pro football focus, join us here, lead NFL draft analyst. You know anything about Pete Warner, the linebacker, from Ohio State, super athletic kid. He, he went to high school here uh, here locally, and I know the Ohio State linebackers frequently have been drafted, but he seems to separate himself from an athleticism standpoint. Yeah, he's just a super sound guy, like super assignment sure. I don't think he's – he never really flashed on tape in terms of high-level instincts, playmaking. That's not really his game. He was almost, you know, A.J. Hawk-esque in that regard throwback to an older Ohio State linebacker where it's just you're not really getting I don't think AJ Hawk like ever had like a handful of picks his entire NFL career I could see that being Pete Warner where it's just like he'll do his job I'm not sure he'll go above and beyond but that's really all you need a linebacker though nowadays you don't you just need a guy who will be able to tackle in space which he 100% can and he's got he'll be able to take on blocks in the run game you're not going to have to protect him too much but then again you're just are you going to draft that guy in the first or second round when you're probably not going to be getting, you know, a ton of tackles for loss, a ton of pass breakups. I'm not sure. So I do think he goes somewhere on day two, but more likely a third round type of guy. One more semi-local name to throw at you. Liam Eichenberg has been a popular mock draft guy for the Colts. Maybe not necessarily at 21, a trade back, or even, I don't know, I think I've seen a few mocks that have had him falling all the way to 54. Um, Kyle, our producer here, brought up, you know, Eichenberg, maybe some shorter arms. Do you think that would impact him at left tackle here in the NFL? Yeah, so he has, I believe, 32 and a quarter inch arms. And popular cut off 33 inches in the NFL for tackle. Actually, Braden Smith, um, the only tackle last year, I believe, with under 33-inch arms. So really? Colts, that may not be that may not be an issue for them. They may still cover him as an offensive tackle, but a lot of teams I think will see him as a guard uh, with that level of length. I, I I'd, I'd give him a shot at tackle. I mean, he's got really good feet, really consistent technique, a really strong dude. Despite you know being a little over 300 pounds, you worry about those guys getting walk back in the pocket sometimes, worry about their anchor, not with Eichelberg. He's got that. That was never an issue for him on his tape at Notre Dame. So uh, I just, I think he's a plug-and-play type of starter. May never be Tyron Smith. You know, that when you don't have length, it shows up even more at the NFL level with basically the guys who are winning at that level are a lot longer, are the freak athletes and kind of what we just talked about with the edge class, that those guys are more difficult to block when you're always at a disadvantage from a length perspective. But I do think that he can still be, like I said, one of those tackles that you can start that's probably going to go on day two. 
Mike, I'll I'll leave you with this. How long? Let's let's say the first three picks are Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and Mac Jones. How long do you think we're going to wait until we hear the names Trey Lance and Justin Fields? Not too long. I think four. You'll hear one of them, and then I'd bet trade up or the Falcons take him. I think it's going to be a trade up, and then either seven or somewhere else. Then in the top ten, you'll hear another one of them called. I firmly believe all five are gone by the first ten picks. Hmm. Who do you, you who do you think is trading up? I think Broncos are a very strong trade up candidate, and then I also think the Patriots are as well. Patriots just cut Julian Edelman. I was just announced as we were doing this interview, so I think he's probably on a one-way ticket to Tampa Bay and probably <laughs> never coming back to Foxborough. Mike, your your Twitter background is one of my favorite pictures of all time, Golden, Golden Tate jumping into the Michigan State band. That's literally – I mean, I'm like, he flat out, like, full extended jumped into the band. That was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. That was – that was probably the highlight of Notre Dame football during my time from 08 <laughs> to 2012. They did not have a lot of great years, but that Golden Tate, it was always made it fun. Yeah, now that you say that, one of my good buddies, Mark Welsh, graduated from Notre Dame in 2012, and I visited him. Was it was it the Pittsburgh game that went into a bunch of overtimes, maybe, when you were an undergrad there? I don't know, Ooh. maybe one of those games. They, oh, boy, that was... The Pittsburgh was the year that was, 20, uh, was 2012, actually, when they went to the when they went to the college football, the that was the overtime Pittsburgh game was when oh, they actually yeah, end up going to the national t- title. Yeah, boy. So that was what? what you were there? there early Kelly? Any Weiss? Uh, one year of Weiss and then early Kelly. Gotcha. It was two years of Weiss. Yeah, it was one of those two. He's a star in the Bachelorette, Notre Dame grad, and great NFL draft insight. Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus joining us here on the Ride of the JMV. Mike, thank you very much for the time. I know it's a wild month for you, and again, I encourage everyone out there to uh, go read that PFF draft guide. Thank you, Mike. For sure. Thanks for having me. Have a good one. It's Mike Renner right there. That's Mike Renner, Pro Football Focus. Appreciate the time with Mike yesterday, and glad you guys were able to hear that interview, and hopefully you found it pretty insightful and I really wanted to throw those main three positions at him, Chris. You mm-hmm. know, get the offensive tackle, get the edge rush, tight end, which, you know, he doesn't appear to be a very deep class at all. I think we have a tight end Twitter question yes. that we'll get to a little bit later. But um, I thought that was interesting. I thought the arm strength stuff, arm length stuff was really interesting. You know, we talk about that, that get off trait. Yep. I do feel like with these pass rushers, all of them have that question mark in some level, but a lot of them just put up some testing numbers that are like whoa so hope you guys enjoyed that and i thought it was a fun interview with those numbers real quick before we get into twitter questions we talked about the quick thumb on the stopwatch do you know anything else about the other uh the other drills that those guys do i mean is everything else pretty up to par in terms of a combine standpoint i'm a little bit skeptical of the numbers and i'm not a naturally skeptical person to be to be honest with you but i'm a little bit skeptical of all these testing numbers we've seen and i know you've got your own scouts there that are you know probably on a stopwatch you would hope Mm -hmm. so they're doing it themselves but still i don't think i mean just not to get too like crazy into it but like the surface at lucas oil is different than the surface at a lot of other schools like think about a track you always hear like it's a fast track yeah um I just don't think it's apples to apples as it usually is with past history there. So I do think you might see a little bit of like, all right, if you're 6'2 and your arms are this long and you run this and your shuttle's that, 
you have a 94% hit rate. And if you're not, you have a whatever, 47% hit rate. I don't know if like it's exactly gospel like it typically is for a lot of teams. Yeah. And the Colts are one of those teams. I've always said it. Like, I thought Ryan Grigson likes some 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 testing numbers and, and likes certain measurables. Chris Bauer takes it to a whole other level. He's obsessed with it. So I am curious to see how it plays out and ultimately, you know, what happens when uh when the Colts take those picks. Yeah. Make that, those picks. It's perfectly fair. All right, Twitter questions this week. Let's do it. First one comes from David. Love the pod, guys. Does the signing of Chris Reed, a starter at guard for the Panthers, make you think the Colts are maybe moving Quentin Nelson to left tackle at all? Well, thanks, David. That's a um, that's a good question. You know, I Chris, the Colts have options. I'll say this. Now, some yeah. of the options won't make you sleep super well at night, but they have a lot more options on April 13th than they did April 13th of last year. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Like, just putting this debate to the side for a second, when you have an offensive line and now the season's 17 games long, you need options. True. Because who the hell knows? Very true. And I honestly want options in the draft. You know, you and I have talked about this. I'm not married to left tackle 21. I think that's the route that's most likely. I think it makes the most sense, all of that. But, boy, I'm not married to it. Mm -hmm. Certainly I'm married to it like I'm married to Matty Bowen. You know, that one, you know, we are married, folks. Um, I feel like a bunch of one-year deals is what stands out to me a little bit more. And, like, it's just like, is this another patchwork sort of thing? And who knows? Maybe some of these one-year deals turn into longer-term deals right. uh, moving forward. Um, I will say this. I know Nelson got banged up a little bit last year. You know, he, he played through a lot of the, I think, hip and ankle and, you know, I've heard some whispers that he might have needed to get you know a few of those things cleaned up in the off season. Would that impact, you know, your likelihood to try him out over there? Has he been able to do as much off season training, you know, per se, um, for like tackle specific stuff versus guard specific stuff? So you know that's something to keep in mind. Um, you know, David, I, to your question, I I will say you know it, it has been a little bit more like wow, that is a guard. Um, but I really cannot say that for sure until we get to day two and mm-hmm. we get to potentially day three of the draft. Yeah. Because I still don't think that all of a sudden Quinn Nelson at left tackle, Chris Reed at left guard, you know, that takes an offensive line that we maybe thought was top five in the league to where, you know, who knows. Yeah. All right, Pumpkin Pastry is back with a question this week. When the Colts inevitably trade back this in this year's draft, as the roster is currently constructed, can we afford to only gain extra compensation in 2022, or do we need any trade backs this year to require extra picks in the draft? We have so few, quote, quality darts, end quote, in this year's draft, it's hard to ensure that all of our needs can be hit on left tackle, edge, edge rush, tight end, wide receiver, and legitimate backup safety were mentioned. Yeah, it's funny. The closer that you get to the draft, I always am like, oh, yeah, the Colts are going to trade back. <laughs> it's crazy when you think about the four drafts under Chris Ballard. He's only taken the first-round pick at that spot one time, Yeah, and that was Hooker. Mm-hmm. He traded back from three to six, obviously traded back in 2019, and then traded out of the first round in 2020. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um I, I tend to think trading back for 2022 
draft picks makes a little bit more sense just because you're potentially without a first round pick next year. So, or first or 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 a second actually. Right, yeah. Um, from a pure capital standpoint, that would make more sense, but then, you know, the bird on my other shoulder will say, "Support for Wentz." That's been my big thing all off season long. And you know, I sit here right now, Chris, and I'm going to post something tomorrow to the website, winners and losers for the Colts here mm-hmm. in free agency. You know, we're about a month into free agency. Yeah. And so it, always every year, guys on the rosters are great winners. Guys on the rosters are losers from what's happened in free agency. The winner, unquestionably to me, is a guy like Jacob Eason. Now he goes from barely any meaningful reps to yep. he's got a great chance to be the backup. One of the losers to me is Jim Ursay's <laughs> offensive plan. Like Ursay said, you know, back at the start of the offseason, we need one or two more playmakers on offense. Well, <laughs> where? I mean, yeah, you know, where, where are they? You re-signed T.Y. Hilton. Like, I don't think he was referencing that. Um, so that's where I sit here and think to myself, oh, boy, well, if I'm in the support wins, if I'm in the you still need to achieve a little bit what Jim Irsay wants to accomplish, then you might need some some, some skill action. So uh, now, to be totally fair, you never cross off every need. No. Like, that's just the reality of the business. I still think trading back for 2022 makes a little bit more sense. I know it's a little bit tough for even me, a person that looks more long-term than I think most, to look down another year. But that's probably where I side with it. But, man, then I say that, I think to myself, just two picks in the first 125 spots. Mm -hmm. That's rare for Chris Bauer. It's tough. All right, this next one comes from Wake Spike. With the return of Mac, do you see Reich doing any super speedster-type play formations? The two running backs in Mac and Taylor, then having Hilton, Paris Campbell, and Naheem Hines as wideouts. Also, between Beers with Bowen the night before the draft, followed by three days of covering the draft, morning radio possibly, content for the fan, and, pos- and podcasting. Kevin, when do you sleep, and how long will you be on that couch? <laughs> Wake Spike, I, I I do get plenty of sleep. At least at least I think I do. I'm I'm kind of a morning person. I like waking up early and kind of getting to work. And yeah, you know, the nice thing about that is I can go pick up Rosie around four four thirty. Yeah, from 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 daycare and whatnot. So how's yeah. she sleeping? She, knock on wood, man. She's actually been a very very good sleeper. Good. Um, yeah, really good. And of course I say that she woke up early this morning, but for the most part, um, she's been really really good. So, you know what? The, in all seriousness, Wake Spike, draft weekend is wild. And it, I mean, it is some long because we'll come at you with an emergency podcast at whatever, 1 a.m. Thursday night. I'll probably have to go out to my car now that I think about it <laughs> because Rosie wasn't born last year in the draft. That's but true. um, this is my favorite time of the year. Like, I love, yeah. love the draft. And I know a lot of people love the draft. I mean, we see the numbers. Like, fans are obsessed with it. But, like, as someone that covers the team, I almost look at it as like, you know, six, seven new players, maybe more than that. It's almost like you're either starting a new job or as a salesperson, you're getting six or seven new clients and you're like learning super a lot about them. And, um, you know, you're trying to find kind of hidden little whatever tidbits and interesting stuff about them that, you know, either you can use in conversation with them or for my sake, you can obviously produce content with that stuff. So, yeah, um, you know, obviously ask me on May 2nd, but. I do hope it's quiet on Saturday when the Kentucky Derby goes off on on May 1st. I always hope that the Colts aren't picking because I do love the fastest two minutes in sports. All right, uh, speedster packages. First off, I love that phrase. Yeah. You know? 
Chris, I think one of the things that we talked about a whole lot during the season last year is I didn't feel like a Taylor Hines personnel grouping was used enough. Used to the fullest is mm-hmm. maybe what I should say. Now, I fully understand you were trying to get Jonathan Taylor up to speed, but that's a wrinkle and a part of the package that I want to see more of. Right. And really, the Wildcat a little bit, that could work you know, into things. And, and obviously, you reference Campbell. Like I, I cannot stress enough how high Frank Reich is on Paris Campbell. Like yeah. I, I cannot stress that enough. And, you know, I, I fully believe there's a section of the playbook that's like, boom, that's Paris Campbell. So if healthy, you would think that we're going to see a whole lot more of that. Mm-hmm. And now you got the read option element from your QB. True. And also, don't sleep on Pittman. I mean, his speed last year yeah. on some of those oh, yeah. underneath routes or sweeps, He's sneaky fast for for the, a guy that size. Yeah, you know, it's uh, the long strides, yeah. I think, is what really, really gets people. And, yeah, I mean, there's not many guys 6'4", 220 plus that run as fluidly, if that's a word, yeah, as um, as he does. And I see him and Patman kind of going back and forth with each other on Twitter. Like to see the competition between teammates talking about their speed overall, you know, they've been training. And yeah, nowadays, work- athletes have all these different... I think they're working out together? Yeah, gadgets and tests of, like, you know, your acceleration speed and whatever, and they've been climbing each, yeah. each week. So, love to see it. Yeah, definitely. That's all part of the offseason, for sure. All right, Kevin, John wants to know, he's been thinking back to some of Ballard's interviews, and he's been and that he's been shockingly transparent with the moves he's intended to make this offseason. In 2019, Ballard's year-ending press conference emphasized two things. Turnovers will come to the roster, and the need for and the need for an elite three technique. A few months later, Margus Hunt and Pierre Desir are cut. Jacoby Brissett is benched, and we make a big trade for DeForest Buckner. This year, Ballard and Ursay have been equally transparent, and they equally transparent. They wouldn't commit to Jacoby Brissett or Jacob Eason, and then we go get Wentz. Ballard said he needed better line depth, and then we signed four backup offensive linemen. I'm trying to figure out what else we need to do based on the previous comments to stick out. Or I need to, I need – okay, I'm going to start this whole thing over. No, all good. I know it's a long question. Okay, Kevin, this one comes from John. He wants to know – he's been thinking back to some of Ballard's interviews where he's been shockingly transparent with moves that he's intended to make in the offseason. In 19, Ballard's year in press conference emphasized two things. Turnovers will come to the roster – and the need for an elite three technique. A few months later, Margus Hunt and Pierre Desir are cut. Jacoby Brissett is benched, and we make a big trade for DeForest Buckner. This year, Ballard and Ursay have been equally transparent that they wouldn't commit to Jacoby Brissett or Jacob Eason, and then we go get Carson Wentz. Ballard said we needed better line depth, and then he signs four backup offensive linemen. I'm trying to figure out what else we need to do based on previous comments, and the two stick out to me. One... Ballard suggests that moving on from Nelson or moving Nelson to the left tackle and two, Ursay's insistence on getting two elite pass catchers. Based on all of that, is there a world where we go get a receiver in the first round, a tight end in the second round? And it's certainly not what I would want to do in that pattern that suggests more likely than drafting an edge rusher before day three. Ooh, that was a long one, John. Um, okay, there's a lot to unpack there. I will say it's interesting and good observations, certainly, in those Ballard interviews by John. Yeah, I mean, I do think Ballard, I guess I'll start with the first one. He says Ballard opened to Nelson moving to left tackle or Braden Smith. Right. 
Um, yeah, I, I'm not like, I don't think it will happen. I don't think it should happen, but I'm definitely not ruling it out. I'm not. Now, the second point, you know, Ursay insistence on getting two elite pass catchers, like, I mean, like I just said, at this point, Chris, unless it happens during the draft, it's not happening. Yeah. You know, you you literally have not signed an outside wideout or an outside tight end, which is, you know, kind of kind of crazy to me, to be honest with you. Um, man, if why if they go wide out round one and tight end round two, then I would say Carson Wentz is making personnel decisions again. <laughs> I would yeah. say whatever happened in Philly uh, is is continuing to happen here in Indianapolis. And, and honestly, Chris, can you imagine if they go no left tackle? Because you know, round one, round two, that means you're not drafting in round three. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you imagine they go no left tackle, no edge rusher until day three. Well, even when you say Carson Wentz, you would think, hey, I need offensive line Yeah, help. you're right. I've been hit way too many times. Let's go get a stud, please. Thank you. You're right. You're right. I mean, they literally go no left tackle, no edge rusher until day three. That goes against everything Chris Bauer believes in. Yeah. So, yeah, John, I, I don't – I think offensive line depth, that was really the big thing. Ursay's talked really about everything. Honestly, the one thing Ursay didn't mention, which now looking back on it's crazy – he didn't mention edge rusher back in that um, mm-hmm. opening presser or offseason presser, I should say. I think he mentioned corner, left tackle, and uh, wide out and tight end. You know, he really didn't mention edge rusher, which I guess, you know, I should have believed I should have taken him for at his word. Then I think I mentioned that briefly. I thought it was just kind of a slip. Kevin Richard from the UK. First off, loves listening to the podcast every week, and he gets he can get his Colts fix. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate that. I hope, honestly, selfishly, I hope the Colts get back over to London here soon. I or I guess anywhere over in Europe. To be honest with you, to play, I, I'd love to come back over. Yeah, remind me what was the every team will at least play overseas once every how many eight? Years? I think it's eight years. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty sure. Cool. Yeah. He says, of the newest members of the Colts staff that you've spoken to, who has impressed you the most, and which do you think will have the biggest impact on the players that they are working with? Oh, wow. Uh, that's a that's a good question, Richard. Um, yeah, we have talked to the we have talking we have talked to the new <laughs> assistants, and, and I guess we should mention it's been like an eight minute, ten minute Zoom. It hasn't been anything like yeah. too extensive. I will say this: I know he's not new, but he's got a new title. Marcus Brady, it amazes me how much he reminds me of Reich. These dudes are so just like, you know, well put together and like, you know, just super nice guys and all that, but they are extremely confident. Like, if they were assholes, we'd call them cocky. Right. But they're not assholes, so we don't call them cocky, we call them confident. Yep. You know, that's the, that's like the PR spin on it. Um, I've talked to some people that have played basketball with Marcus Brady, and they're like, that dude is <laughs> – he brings it. And he, does he let you know? <laughs> uh, I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think he does. Um, so I think that's just kind of, I don't know, it's kind of funny. Uh, James Rowe, I was impressed by the new uh, corners coach. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Mawai, you know, I, I didn't, obviously I know Kevin Mawai is a player. Can't say I ever really listened to many interviews with them, but I thought both those guys, Scott Milanovic as well, coming from the CFL, he impressed me, so... Yeah, I mean, hopefully we'll get to know him a little bit more here and hopefully get back, you know, in person with a lot of these guys. But certainly very different backgrounds with, mm-hmm. with a lot of them and, you know, a good amount of turnover 
on this coaching staff. There's probably what only three or four people that stayed in the same exact a non-coordinator division, or I should say non-Reich, right. Eberflus, Bubba Ventrone, that uh, that have kind of moved to different titles or new faces brought in. Yeah, I was pretty excited about Mawai. Anytime you get a guy that's an All-Pro, Hall I mean, of Famer, Hall of Fame, but still like. I don't know, still for some reason kind of flies under the radar with his yeah. personality. He's just a guy who loves being in that room. Yeah, I can tell. He um, certainly is a big fan, and you would think from a coach-player relationship, mm-hmm. his resume would resonate big time. Right. All right, from Tanner. Hey, Kev, I know I probably should have sent this to you a couple weeks ago, and I hope, no, and I hope nothing breaks before next week. Thank you, because every time we seem to record a podcast, something does. How likely is it that we bring back Malik Hooker? Julian Blackman had a fine year last year, especially coming off an ACL. But would it make sense to bring back Hooker on a one-year deal, much like we did Mac? Might benefit both parties. Thanks for the great content. I appreciate that, Tanner. Um, I think that marriage is over. I think mutually mm-hmm. it's over. Marlon Mack, to me, viewed much differently internally. Yeah. And um. And I think Marlon Mack thinks a little bit different about the Colts than Malik Hooker thinks about the Colts, to be frank. And, you know what, are you bringing him back to be a third safety? I mean, Hooker played on special teams? I don't I, I don't see that happening. So, um, I do think another safety, and, you know, we saw the signing of Sean Davis, and and uh, that, you know, is a possible depth signing. We'll see what happens to George Odom and that yeah. situation playing out. But I still think safety is somewhat of a knee, but. Mm-hmm. I know, no, I never thought Hooker was a possibility to come back. Blake wants to know, what does Carson Wentz have to do to help the fans move on from Andrew Luck? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's loaded. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but, hey, it's short and sweet, and it's to the point. What does Carson Wentz have to do to help fans move on from Andy? Perennial playoff runs. Yeah, it's got to be annual. Mm-hmm. Win divisions. You know, get to a Super Bowl. I mean, I know those are big goals, but yeah. I mean, move on from Andrew Luck. I mean, hell, it's taken the owner quite a while to publicly move on from Andrew Luck. So right. I can only imagine how fans think about it. And you know, as much as Andrew Luck had the right to retire, obviously, if he wanted to, you know, like we've said before, and I think I think someone tweeted at us this at me a few months ago like Andrew Luck totally yeah uh, that (laughs) word the Colts and honestly more than anything it was the timing of it two weeks before the start of the season you do that in February you got free agency in a draft Jacoby's not 100% your starter who knows what you do in that draft you trade it out of the first round you know maybe who, who knows right what happens in that draft but um yeah, Wentz, yeah, big-time team success. That's that's what has to happen. I always felt like Ballard should have used some architecture lingo with Andrew and been like, you know, you're taking, like, the keystone out of this team. That's great. If you leave, or, and this is, going, you know, some, something to that nature. I like that. Maybe limestone yeah. here, here in Indiana. Right. Um, yeah, maybe that. I mean, I'm sure they tried a lot. I, I, I don't know <laughs> if anything was saving the unique character that Andrew Luck is. Right. Okay, Kev, mock draft situation from Matt. He's putting his GM, GM hat on. Cool. Wants to know your thoughts on post-Wentz mock draft. Feel free to debate with Chris on the pod. He's going to trade back. Okay. The 21st pick he's going to give to Green Bay. 
for the 29th pick, so staying in the first round, and the 93rd pick. Okay, so adding adding a third rounder. Getting our, kind of a popular thing to do after trading away third rounder for wins. Liam Eichenberg at offensive tackle with the first pick. Okay. Carlos Basham with the second pick, who's a defensive end. Paulson Adebo, cornerback with the third pick. Yeah, former Notre Dame commit. Daz Newsom in round four. He's a wide receiver. And then it, and then he has Darius Hutcherson. From Darius Hutcherson, he's going to go to Jamar Jefferson. Then he's going to go to Jacoby Stevens. Hmm. So he goes tackle, D-end, corner, wide out, guard, running back, safety. Jacoby Stevens, Correct. LSU kid, if I'm not mistaken. LSU, yep. Um, yeah, that's a decent haul. Obviously, trading back, I think, is what stands out to everybody and, you know, theoretically still getting a starting level tackle. You know, Eichenberg, I think it was pretty steady at Notre Dame. You know, we heard from Mike Renner earlier. He talks about the arms. So, you know, can he hold up at left tackle? You know, he played left tackle at, at Notre Dame. You know, can he hold up against NFL competition? I would say that's the one question people have. I don't think he's like an exceptional athlete compared to some other high-end tackles, but I think he can be a very solid guy at the NFL. Debo's a guy that I really, really liked um, in college as well. I know he kind of has some – just wasn't – maybe not the most polished prospect with, with the resume. Mm-hmm. You know, Chris, what stands out to me is where's the tight end? I would say it's not a great tight end draft, like Mike Renner referenced earlier, but that's the one thing that stands out to me. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. You like it? Uh, I went back and looked at a lot of these guys' highlight tapes, and I did like their mostly their frame of work. Yeah. I mean, I, f- I felt like he did hit on the fact. I mean, I know this year you said we didn't need a running back. I kind of liked the running back that he put in there. Kind of an Aaron Jones type, AB gap run. He can bounce it if he needs to. Um, you always wonder if if the left tackle is not as polished, but you trade back. Does Quentin Nelson help? You know, does, but at the yeah. same time, you left tackle, as we've mentioned, that's a position that you need to hit on. So you don't necessarily want your guard to always help your left tackle. Right, you want a guy right. that can stand on his own out there. Yeah, running back. I just. I guess you would cut Jordan Wilkins under that. I don't know. It just seems like it's a bit of a luxury to draft a running back this year. But you know me. I'm good with it. I would say tight end. Matt, that's the one thing that stands out to me. This one's from Pike. Do you think, as I do, bringing in an edge in the draft is a valuable idea in the first round? He says, I think Quiddy Pay or Jalen Phillips could be better than people expect considering they drew lots of double teams in college and have dominant interior and where we have the dominant interior with Buckner and Stewart leaves the defensive end position ability to have one versus one scenarios. This is another reason losing Autry seems like not a huge loss. His and Houston's stats seem to be inflated from film watching because Buckner needed so much attention. Yeah, Pike, I don't, I don't, um, a slight slap in the face at Autry. I, I think both those guys. They did a little bit more on rundowns than they get credit for. Obviously, yeah, they did have some single teams and things like that. But, Chris, it's just a big bank on a rookie rusher to come in here and impact from day one. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I was looking up for a story I'm writing tomorrow on the site or Thursday on the site. In the last five years, there's been five rookies that have had at least nine sacks in the NFL. Just five. Of those five, four were taken in the top ten. Mm-hmm. So I think that goes to show you of Chase Young slash Bosa's, you know, it's just it's very difficult right. to find the impactful rusher from day one, and I think that group, it needs long-term answer, and it needs immediate answer as well. And I get it, you know. Buckner, certainly his presence speaks for itself, but Autry and Houston, again, those guys can play on early downs. Like, even if you're going to play tomorrow, Kamoko Turi is not a starter. He's not going to be an early down guy for you. And it's fine, you can rotate guys in, but if you start having some injuries, then that's where things... I think are a bit difficult as well. That's why the whole Jadavian Clowney thing is like fascinating. You know, Clowney is such a maddening. I I don't think there's a more frustrating player in the NFL than mm-hmm. probably Clowney. Like <laughs> number one overall pick, freak athlete, never lived up to it. But like you can't sit here and look at the Colts depth chart right now and say Jadavian Clowney wouldn't help in some some level. Is he going to help at the level that number one overall pick or how much money he made in Seattle two years ago? Yeah. No, I'm not saying that. But based off what you've got right now. He'd do something for you just because you want seven or eight bodies and you want to rotate and things like that. And right now, I would say, particularly out at edge, you just you lack that big one. So it still shouldn't shy you away from drafting one. But again, it goes back to the theory of why not find more of a proven guy in free agency where – you know, people are always like, free agency is such a risk. I'm like, wait, wait, the draft is much more of a risk than free agency. Free agency, you're just putting a, a higher – usually you're just putting a higher price tag on a guy. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, you know, you're projecting them into your system. You've at least seen them against light competition. The draft is – you yeah. know, there's busts in the top five. There's busts in the top ten. So, um, yeah, but having said all that, Quiddy Pay is a guy that I think I like. Yeah. Of – all these rushers, which we'll get into that a little bit more here. Certainly the night of beers with Bowen, uh, but on next pod. Colin wants to know, back to your tight end question or your tight end point, Kevin, what are your thoughts on the Colts drafting Pat Fryermuth, a.k.a. Baby Gronk, out of Penn State? Ooh. He's graded around a second round. He's graded around the second round from what I've read. Left tackle should be the pick at 21, no doubt. Yeah, Fryermuth, you know, weak tight end class. Um, I think he was a little bit banged up, so he didn't test his pro day. I'm probably more in the mold, Chris, of a give me the fluid athlete, give me more of the natural receiving um, presence. They might be a little light in the booty. They might be a little bit, you know, whatever, inexperienced or unpolished as a blocker. Fine. Mm-hmm. But I'll take more of the receiving threat and hope I can mold. And obviously, I've got Jack Doyle and Mo Alley Cox on the roster as well. So, um, yeah, I Fryermuth is certainly I, I would say one of the more. I mean, after Kyle Pitts, you can make the argument maybe he's the most balanced tight end mm-hmm. in this class. But I'd like a little bit more of a receiving threat. Okay. This question comes from Steven. He says, "I believe Ballard is giving too much of a pass by most of the fans." but I'm not sure he's the Messiah. I think he's just way better than Grixon and shifted the draft philosophy towards positions, which has an easier transition in the NFL, which makes it appear better than it actually is. However, 
he's missed on almost every time on positions in which they're more detrimental to the team. He mentions edge rusher, cornerback, and receiver that come to mind. Look, I love Ballard's philosophy to a point, but there is a point where you have to take a flyer on a high-level free agent. The depth linemen we signed so far are arguably worse than Clark and Good, yet people are clamoring about how he addressed the depth issue, depth issue from last year. I'd say we lost three, with one being a high-level starter, Costanzo, and replacing our depth guys, and two guys who graded far worse than Davenport grading, grading out being nearly dead last. I think Ballard's philosophy should be tweaked a little bit. There's multiple grounds between him and Grixon, it's time we found it. Well, thank you, Stephen. Boy, we've had some detailed ones today. Um, yeah, Ballard philosophy being tweaked. I, I would agree with that. Um, you know, I, I think if you like, I don't know, if you put Grigson on one side of the scale, you put Ballard on one side of the scale, let's say whatever. Grigson's a 50 and Ballard's a 100. And I'm just throwing out loose, mm-hmm. very arbitrary numbers. You know, I think Ballard coming back to like a 90 or like an 85 would make more sense to me. Overall, I agree with a lot of his philosophical approach, but there are some things, mainly aggression and free agency, yeah, where I think he could be a little bit, he could better use that part of the offseason to not just supplement, but potentially get a guy that's, oh, that's the ninth best player on your team and you got him through free agency. Um you know, missing on edge, missing on corner in the draft. Yes, that's certainly happened. But, like, dra- <laughs> drafting's hard. You know, drafting's really hard. And at those positions, um, you know, you can make the argument, especially edge, that it's more difficult. And, and no no GM's perfect. But, yeah, I mean, you do need to start hitting better at those spots. Um, so, yeah, that's that's probably how I view the whole, you know, Grigson-Ballard mm-hmm. debate and you know, last year you did take a step forward in winning without Andrew Luck. We we mentioned that. That's a big step forward. That's something the Grigson regime did. People, you know, are so quick to make the you know notion. Oh, he only won because he had Andrew Luck. Well, the Colts were six and four in games without Andrew Luck in the Grigson era. Six yeah. and four is a damn good record without your franchise QB. Last year the Colts took a step in the right direction with uh, with having a new uh, a new QB. Yep. From Matt, I haven't seen anyone talk about this, but do you think the Colts should be looking for another kicker? I personally do and have no clue why more people aren't talking about this. Sure, Rodrigo was better than Vinatieri, but that's not saying much. Still wish they went with McLaughlin last year. You know, Matt, I think I mentioned this in the positional mock draft yep. last week. Yeah, I do. Um, and I was spending a draft pick. is probably stupid, but get an undrafted kicker in the building. Have some competition. You know, I think... I think we maybe fell too much in love of the Rodrigo Blankenship mystique. Yeah. You know, he is a funny human. Uh, he's got a very distinct look to him. Um, you know, pretty hilarious story, honestly, when you hear him, you know, talk about what he was doing the night before. Roster cuts and uh, just not a lot of typical things NFL players do and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, he had moments last year. He was really, really solid, but some other shakier moments. And so um, if you preach competition, yeah, you got to bring in a kicker. All right, three more. This one's from Colton. He says, I have a sneaky sneaky suspicion, that's hard to say, say that 10 times fast, that Micah Parsons is available at 21. Will Ballard pick him? Last year, nobody really expected us to pick Taylor. I think we need to address the left tackle, but that would be a very scary linebacking core with Parsons, Leonard, 
and Okariki. Just another Penn, I mean, a lot of Penn State references say, today, man, Kevin. No wonder you were rocking that. <laughs> um, you know, Colton, I'll say this. Getting another running back on the field is different than getting another linebacker on the field. You know? Um, and I guess where do the Colts stand on this unique linebacker sort? You know, was, Ben Banigo seemed to be drafted to be this mm-hmm. unique Sam linebacker. You got a special package for him. You know, all that stuff. And I know Michael Parsons is a far different player than, than Ben Banigo, but... I just think it comes down to playing three linebackers. I mean, theoretically, if you did that, you would have invested um, a first-round pick of linebacker, a high second-round pick of linebacker, and yep. then a third-rounder in Okariki. There's no team in the NFL that has that invested a linebacker. This is 2021 NFL, not 2005 NFL. And again, it takes Kenny Moore out of the slot. True. So Very true. I think that's something that you have to keep in mind as well. And I don't see him falling that far. Yeah, I don't think I've seen some mocks where I—I'll be honest—I haven't really looked at him that closely in mocks, just because you know, linebacker yeah. in round one seems like the last thing they would do. But yeah, he's dropped a little, but I think coming out he was like top five. Now, obviously, he's now probably top right. fifteen, but twenty-one. That's—I don't—I don't think he falls to us there. A little but. bit too rich for me. Okay, Kevin, this one comes from Craig KB. Do you ever think the way the NFL does the draft order is all wrong? I mean, this year, for example. I think the Dolphins should take the number one pick, followed by the Raiders, Cardinals, and Patriots. I think the top team not to make the playoffs deserves the top pick, and then you go in order of the best team not to make the playoffs. I think this would discourage anyone from tanking, and it lessens the heartbreak of barely missing the playoffs. Fans often root against their team once they've been eliminated from playoff contention. That would never happen again in the system. What do you think? Wow. Um interesting Craig to say the least you know I, I really like how the NFL does things I I like um I like the parody in the league I think it's unlike really anything else um I get the rooting debate I do get that but like do te- have teams outright tanked I, I <laughs> it's really hard to tank in a sport where you can like almost die on the field true I mean not to be like Super graphic, but yeah, well, you get serious hurt on, on the field. So unless your team is like literally taking guys off the field, it's not like you're stalling or going to four corners or. And these coaching staffs, like they're going to call plays to win. I mean, you know, you're you work way too many hours in the NFL as as a coach to embrace tanking. Mm-hmm. Um, now again, does it work out well for teams? Sure, like if they happen to lose a lot, it works out great. Especially when you're in quarterback purgatory, or you don't have the answer at quarterback. But um, I don't, Craig. I just feel like under that situation, like wouldn't Jacksonville then be drafting like 15th every year, and they're going five and eleven? Yeah. You know, it just it seems like it would keep those teams that are truly bad right in the middle. And I like the draft how it is. I like that these bottom feeders have a chance to, you know, find their next franchise guy. Yeah, and to your point, it's not like, oh, I'm going to give up. I'm going to Olay at a fast break layup or I'm going to miss a guy on a back cut. No, when when I know there's guys in the trenches that still have to butt heads every play, that kind of that definitely sucks for those guys. Right, like if I go half speed, I might tear my ACL or somebody might catch me from the blind side. And yeah. Yeah, there goes my career, the not-for-long career. Mm-hmm. All right, last one from for the podcast comes from Chad, and this is right up your alley. We started the podcast talking about the Masters. 
we're going to end talking about the Masters nope. and tie into beers with Bowen with an alcohol question. Wow. What's he got? says, I'm an avid home brewer and love craft beer almost as much as I love the Masters. I'm considering naming a beer or beers after something from the Masters. What are three names you would go with? Man, Chad, I love this. Avid home brewer, loves craft beer, almost as much as he loves the Masters. Wow. Um, well, first off, I think you need to do something for Hideki Matsuyama's caddy bowing. That was awesome. Yeah, I don't know if we just a very, very respectful. Can we get a reverent brew? I, 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 I you know, I, I don't know, you know what what we could go with there. Obviously, you got to tie in Amen Corner. That's got to be a strong IPA. Um, man, yeah, Azalea something. You know, you probably got to go there with, mm-hmm. with, with with some, you know, I don't know, summer, spring ish flair to it. Um, boy, Chad, that's good. We need some people to. Uh, if anyone has any Masters beers, go ahead and uh, fire them my way or Chris's way, and we'll forward them on to uh, on to Chad. You got anything? I'm not great with like the whole. I don't. I, uh, I, I wrote Masters down a couple. Fan, I went with. Uh, so obviously, you're in Georgia. Yeah. So I went Peach Jacket. Oh, I kind of like it. So tie in, you know, obviously. The I don't know if I ordered it off off the menu, but I kind of like it. Something sandy, sandy, something. That's what I wrote down. Like, yeah. I, you know, a you lot see of bunker Sandy play. Lyle's outfit, <laughs> by the way. Do you know Sandy Lyle, Mm-mm. the golfer? Was he the one with the suspenders? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. I did. Yep. This dude's teeing off with his jacket unzipped. <laughs> unzipped jacket, teeing off on the first hole of the Masters, like he's, you know, playing coffin here in March seventh. So funny. Unbelievable. And then I just, I mean, obviously a bell for all golf fans. Something with Tiger. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. You could tie in some Nance calls. You know, Nance's. That's true. You know, with Nance's call, the, the rising sun is happy to see their first son win them. I don't know. what, what Whatever that call was that he had the other day. Yeah, you could do something along those lines. Nance could give you some great names. That's true. For some, uh, even some high-end cocktails. I don't know, Chad, if you want to go down that route either. But I love that. That was great. Have you seen Nance? I'm sure you have. His backyard. Oh, yeah. So awesome. Yeah. Just... I mean, you you would live outside if you lived at the house. I, Rosie and I would spend a lot of time outside. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And I think she might, you know, she could crawl to get some golf balls, it looks like. <laughs> I don't know. Some of those, the, maybe maybe got to wait till she walks to get to get down some of those steps. But, yeah. Is that all, all of them? That is all the questions this week. Awesome. Thank you, everybody, for sending those in. As always, if you have any questions, feel free to DM me, DM Chris, and compile a list and get to about 15 of them, 20 of them, I don't know, each week. So, hope you guys enjoyed Mike Renner. And uh, we are, what, two weeks away, man, Yeah, away from the NFL draft. So a lot of content up on the website. Make sure to check that out as well. If you haven't already, please subscribe. Leave a rating for the podcast. We haven't asked for one in a while. So I would love if you guys could do that. And uh, beers with Bowen, two weeks from Wednesday. He's Chris Presley. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week, great weekend, and we'll talk to you next week on Kevin's Corner.